one come all and hear of the Canterbury Tales. The woes, the passions, and love at last in full detail. Join in the libations enjoyed so lustily. You too can feel a part of the tale you're soon to see. Is it on? Uh, yes. Are the batteries working? The batteries are working now, so all we have to do is say all of the stuff that we already said. For the past 20 minutes. For the past 20 minutes. Okay. Uh, well, welcome to the Raincoat Report, listeners. This is Boss here with Jeremy. Yeah, at least... We were, uh... We were wrapping up our introduction to this week's episode, and our recorder died and lost the file, so we have to start from scratch. You broke it? Uh, ruined broke it? it? Ruined it. It's miserable, but uh, we learned a valuable lesson today. I didn't learn anything. I learned a valuable lesson today. Excellent. And uh, we will try not to let that happen in the future. At least we didn't lose the other episode we recorded or anything. You know, That would know. suck. Yeah. Um, I'm going to spank you. No, don't spank me. I'm going to spank you until you've learned a lesson. And now your phone's going off. Oh, my God. I bet this is nothing. Hang on. At least on this take, we won't introduce the show 15 minutes into talking. That's so. true. We uh, we got it in in the first minute. So Yeah, that's good. That's and good. Well, uh, welcome. Welcome, visitor- <laughs> welcome visitors to <laughs> Jurassic Park. <laughs> Welcome, listeners, to the Raincoat Report uh, once again. That's the second time I've introduced it on this take. Okay, you're doing good. You have your pick of takes now. <laughs> good. Um, what do you think about, think about high school English, boss? Uh, I remember not really caring for it as somebody who at the time read quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, you get like stuck reading a bunch of really dry bullshit. Yeah, you And do. it's annoying. Yeah. Um, um, I remember though, like my senior year of high school was kind uh, of fun because we had this really dopey teacher and, uh, we were always able to just kind of bullshit our way through things. And as long as it kind of looked like we tried, we did okay. Sure. Um, one of my favorite ones though, was we had to do a video presentation or, well, we had to do some sort of presentation. We chose to do a video presentation. Right. Uh, regarding the Canterbury Tales. Yeah. Uh, and we had a whole lot of fun doing it. Our uh, tactic was we yeah. went to Target and got a new tape for the camera, and then we just hit record as soon as we got in the car with it and recorded us driving around, going to Taco Bell, getting food, taking it back to our friend Corey's house, and eating it at his kitchen table. <laughs> uh, and then we took that footage, we rewound the tape to the beginning let it play for a few seconds, and then started recording from there. And in between each different uh, spot or uh, section of the tape, yeah. we just left like three seconds of whatever was going on uh, on our trip to and from Taco Bell yeah. uh, play. So we had such excellent moments as us in the Taco Bell parking lot asking our friend Brian if he had any money and him just staring blankly back at the camera, (laughs) like with no emotion on his face. And then it, you know, it cut right back into our project. So you don't get to see any resolution of that. Uh, There's also one that in between uh, sections of our video, you see my friend Corey, who was driving, turn onto uh, the highway and just scream out, I didn't even look, I didn't even look. (laughs) So, uh, 
you get a lot of uh, teenagers being stupid in between a bunch of very vague uh, interpretations of Canterbury Tales stories. Yeah. Uh, bore through none of us actually having read the material that we were assigned. Right. Why and would us, you? Uh, just kind of reading the Cliff's notes to get the gist of what the stories were. And yeah. then we just translated those versions of the stories. Sure. The funniest part is when we were at the table eating Taco Bell, but still recording the tape, uh, we were kind of going around in a circle talking about how we hadn't read the material and us just trying to figure out how we're going to do a project for something that we didn't read. Uh, but the funny part was that happens well into the tape, like beyond the length of our actual uh, presentation. So if you just let the tape play, you get all of that in the video. Um, we, of course, when we presented it in class, we stopped the tape before it got to us saying anything uh, bad, but uh, our teacher asked to borrow the tape, so she very well could have seen that, but right. she was really dopey, and I don't think she did. No, I think she probably stopped it when she was watching you all eat food. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. She didn't want, she doesn't want to watch you all eat crunch wraps. That's fair. That's she fair. She has a bunch of papers to grade. She's a dope, so it's going to take her a long time. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But that story is especially relevant because today we're talking about the ribald tales of Canterbury. Yes. uh, From Bud Lee and uh, Hyapatia Lee. Yeah. But there's a lot of uh, ribald tales of Canterbury even before this pornographic film was made. That's true. I'm going to talk you through them a little bit. Okay. Just do a little... uh... High school English class presentation. I appreciate here. that, and I especially appreciate you taking time to look at this material ahead of time and prepare for our episode, and yeah. then not only be able to do that, but to translate this old English into regular... It's middle English. Oh, yeah. It's between the old and the new. Oh, that it's makes sense. Yeah, it's... Middle Ages. This is another one of those examples about how our... uh, They didn't teach you anything. Education system's flawed. Yeah, it really failed you, especially. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, boy. (laughs) All right. So, yeah, the the Canterbury Tales. Yes. You've read it. I've read it. Well, well, to be clear, I didn't read it. No. (laughs) I read it. You didn't read it. Um, Presumably our audience knows vaguely what it is perhaps perhaps not they like to know more about it after our show today yeah they like to watch a lot of movies reading's not their strong suit i feel that yeah i understand i read constantly and i hate it fair enough i hate picturing things inside my mind after i read the words (laughs) i hate learning get out of my head yeah i want my head to be as blank as possible it's my domain but uh, unfortunately, I went to school, and they taught me a lot of things I wanted to know, and more things I didn't want to know. What a nerd. Yeah. Um, and this is one of those things. So, um, Canterbury Tales is a uh, work of medieval English literature by Jeffrey Chotzer, the uh, prolific pervert and uh, writer of such books as the Canterbury Tales. Ah, uh, yes. Yes. Uh, Canterbury Tales is just uh, essentially a collection of short stories 
covering all kinds of walks of life and professions and it's sort of seen as like a social satire of uh, the middle ages but if you ask me it's not that funny <laughs> and i'm an expert on comedy you are yeah the man who once boldly stated i hate to laugh i hate comedy oh yeah yeah <laughs> i had an anti-comedy stance for a while i was against laughter <laughs> um no i think i just didn't want to watch the league so i just came up with a reason oh yeah yeah well, that was a stupid decision sorry uh, i don't make a lot of good ones i'll tell oh, you that yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh you might think how could you uh how could you adapt a pornographic tale out of a collection of fusty old uh writings from the uh days of dead white men Yes, yeah. how so? Well, you know what? People have always had sex. Why, there's so many of them to this day. <laughs> uh, it's disgusting. But that includes the people of Chautzer's Day. Chautzer? Chautzer's Day is the new day of the week. Oh, yeah. It's after Thursday, <laughs> but before Friday. Uh, our jobs are going to love that. Yeah. They would love an extra day of the week to work us like dogs. Yes. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But uh, between working us like dogs and coming up with new days, Jeffrey Chaucer had some uh, time to write about the sex in his time. Now, uh, Canterbury Tales is usually presented in uh, Middle English, which, as I said earlier, was the step between the Old English and... uh, modern english of today and the modern english like the band oh yeah yeah they did um i'll melt with you yeah 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 um so those are the two stages of english there's three there's the middle so don't forget that (laughs) (laughs) shit the first time i did this it sounded worse but this time i'm just had just enough of this drink to uh really let myself get off track <laughs> it's good i like it because it's not exactly the same yeah no i can never say the same thing twice um there's a philosopher and he said you can never step into the same river twice oh. the water's always flowing oh yeah it's very deep it is and deep so i can never say the same thing twice for the same reason because my brain is so deep it's constantly moving but yeah i'm gonna give you a little taste of uh medieval sex Ooh! so we're gonna start with uh the reeves tale okay okay it's not christopher reeves tale the man who fell off a horse and later died (laughs) he didn't die from falling off the horse he lived quite a while and was in a remake of uh rear window suited him because he was in a wheelchair. <laughs> I didn't know about that. Yes. So basically the Reeves tale is a tale of a young student who vows to get revenge on a miller who stole from him by uh, tricking his wife into sleeping with him. And this is actually one of the tales uh, like we get into in the film, but I don't think it's presented by the Reeve in that. No. Um, it's It's kind of different. Yeah, it's a little different. We'll get to it. Yeah, I think chaucer had like something like 24 different pilgrims and we have a fraction of that for this film thankfully yes um but uh this is a little quote from the man in middle english but fair and well she creep into the clerk 
and lifeful still, and wold hand caught asleep. Within a while this John the clerk up leap, and on this good wife he layeth on sore, so merry a fit had she not full your, he pricketh hard and sore as he were mad. So uh, <laughs> basically they uh, switch beds and he ends up nailing the Miller's wife uh, exceptionally hard um, <laughs> as if he were mad. Excellent. So he was really giving her like a Rocco Sofridi style pounding at a time when the most she could probably hope for was uh, Al Bundy just, style just a pounding. Couple little, yeah, just a couple, you know, a couple pumps and a squirt. <laughs> um absolute filth absolute filth and a, another tale of yield perversions we have uh the miller's tale oh yeah this is not the same miller as in the reeves tale this is a miller who is um he exists outside the world of tales he's one of the pilgrims oh yes the reeve and the miller Excellent. Yes, and the Miller's Tale is about the unfaithful wife of a uh, Miller. Uh-huh. And he's just, I guess, maybe telling us a story about himself, maybe. Right. It's hard to say, because I didn't... It's been probably, I don't know, a good 15 years since I've read any of this. Right. Not off my phone. So the Miller's wife, Allison, has a uh, young lover named Nicholas. And in addition to this young lover, she also has an unwanted suitor named uh, Absalon. So Absalon bothers the hell out of her and Nicholas uh, while the miller's away and she's just trying to get her bone on. Right. He's just out there in the night trying to do some fucking Romeo and Juliet type stuff, I'm sure. Just got his boombox over his head, playing his Peter Gabriel. Right, just like in uh, Shakespeare. Just like in Shakespeare and love with leonardo <laughs> dicaprio there's a modern adaptation oh yeah <laughs> oh wait no it's a romeo and juliet i don't know i didn't see any of that stuff i don't i only watched... oh yeah romeo and juliet's the leonardo dicaprio yeah one. shakespeare and love is something else entirely uh, yeah but the point is is there was a, a shakespeare renaissance in the 90s yes and... that was my whole point so now i'm done talking all right, well, that's uh, that's going to do it for the Raincoat Report this week. Yes, uh, but let me talk about Absalom okay. first. That horny old suitor. Uh, he's waiting out in the dark in an alley or in front of a house. Um, and the quote begins, This Absalom gone wipe his mouth full dry. Dirk was the night as pitch or as coal. And at the window out she put her hole. And Absalom him feel no bet no worse. But with his mouth, he kissed her naked erse. <laughs> Full savorly, er, he was war of these. A back he start and thought it was a miss. For well, he wist a woman hath no beard. He felt a thing all rough and long, ye hear, and said, Fie, alas, what have I do? Tee, quote she, and clapped the window too. <laughs> um, and scene beautiful thank you um so she's tired of this dude so she just takes advantage of the uh darkness and lack of electricity present in the middle ages and uh puts her ass out the window when he asks for a kiss oh uh, yeah yeah so uh he kisses it uh if 
feels like something's wrong and reaches out to stroke her face and touches her pubic hair and thinks it's a beard. Uh, <laughs> then about after, I guess, half a second of reflection, he's like, no, the ass, the, the lips, the, none of this is right. This is all wrong. Twas an asshole I kissed and nothing more. Quote the raven, nevermore. Never yes. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Um, and that's this week's literature lesson. Uh, go in peace. Uh, beautiful. Thank you. Um, so that's just a little taste of the actual ribald Tales of Canterbury. What uh, comes out in the film's a little different, but nonetheless, pretty erotic and uh, a lot less dry than the uh, source material. Uh, indeed it is. It's, uh, in fact, quite interesting. Uh, so again, this is directed by Bud Lee, starring uh, and written by his wife, Hyapatia Lee, or his wife at the time, at least. Mm -hmm. You know, again, it's considered an adaptation of Chaucer, but uh, there's definitely uh, quite a bit of liberties being taken here. Uh, but we do have quite a lineup here. Um, we have, of course, Hyapatia Lee and Bud Lee both have roles within the film. Uh, we have Mark Wallace and Peter North. Yeah. Uh, we have Stevie Taylor as the Miller's wife, mm -hmm. and uh, Buffy Davis as the Miller's daughter. Yeah. Say Mike Horner. Uh, Mike Horner's in here as the knight. He's uh, probably the the biggest male role in it. Yeah. And uh, he had quite a prolific career. Uh, we would recognize him from uh, The Young Like It Hot. Uh, he was also in Sorority Sweethearts as Jack, the uh, brother who was coming back from the army and uh, nailed Lisa DeLeo. But I also, I was looking at his IMDb and noticed that he had 1,069 credits. 69, very nice. Yeah, just a, a nice round number for his work. Uh, starting back in 1977 all the way through 2011, so... Uh, what a career. Yeah. He, the things he saw and the things he did. The holes he plowed. The holes he filled. The, the holes he filled, yes. Um, yeah, he's in this. Uh, did, I, did I say Peter North? Because Peter North's yeah, Peter in North's it. in it. Uh, Colin Brennan oh, yeah. is in it. Mark um, Wallace. Mark Wahlberg <laughs> is in it. Uh, Donnie Wahlberg. All the, all the new kids on the block. <laughs> got some... Nice supporting cast. Uh, Elmo Lavino. Oh, yeah. Is in it. Uh, you may know him as uh, the Commandant from Prisoner of Paradise. Right. Uh, a shining star in the pornographic uh, support galaxy. F.M. Bradley. F.M. Bradley is the and stable it. boy. Yeah, he's a stable boy. I'd call him a stable man. <laughs> uh, not least of all because of the, the problems of calling a, a, an African American man boy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, we definitely saw that he was a man in this film. Yes. Uh, if he yeah. wasn't a man before, he was by the end of the film. Yes, he was in uh, Pretty Peaches 2 as the uh, hotel door-to-door uh, -door hustler. Oh, yeah. Yeah, just going around plowing uh, people while Herschel Savage is locked in a bathroom. <laughs> um, yeah, a star-studded affair. Uh, a very... Uh, what did you call it before the recording broke? Ensemble cast. Oh, yes, an ensemble cast. Yes, a very professional term. 
Yes. Uh, not quite a Dracula sucks level of ensemble cast, but again, that's kind of the high water mark. Yeah, this uh, but is, still, this is this is quite a solid lineup. I'd say this is more probably like I want to say like the second kind of generation of like big porn stars versus kind of like a lot of the more first generation people that were in uh, Dracula sucks. Sure, but still like a, a big cast, um, a lot of repeats in the Caribbean film stable. Yes. Uh, which I pretty good. They had a solid people. If you just get Elmo Lavino on the line and have him play an old drunk. Right. Or uh no, he didn't play the drunk. He was the monk. Yes, he was the monk. Who uh, was the drunk? The Dennis Miller. Dugan yeah. was the Miller, yes. Dennis Dugan is Dick Miller. Uh Dennis Star Dugan is the brother of Hacksaw? Hacksaw Jim oh, Dugan. That's amazing. Yeah. I wondered if, when I saw his name, I wondered if there was a relation. I'm glad there is. <laughs> uh, yes. Wait, are you being serious? Uh, no. Oh, fuck. I believed <laughs> you. I was fully, uh, you were over there typing and tapping. I thought maybe you had brought him up. Dennis Duggan, he has six credits. He was in this, uh, he was in These Are the Days as a voice it's a TV series in 1974. Whoa. Then his next credit is this in 1985. Okay. Then uh, Not a lot of work for Dennis Dugan. A fright show in 1985 as well. Says in the segment Illegal Alien. Sounds like a creep show ripoff from like the year after or something. Uh, yeah, I guess maybe. That sounds. That's probably what that is. Let me let me investigate further because this no. is what our listeners deserve. <laughs> Two obscure film critics host four sci-fi horror films: The Thing in the Basement, Illegal Alien, Night Fright, and Doctor Dober Mind. Uh, this looks like not an attempt to replicate the format, at least, but it does sound like an anthology thing. Yeah, maybe the producer renamed it Fright Show after Creep Show. I think so. I think uh, show. The next one was Sky Foxes in 1987. And that is, uh, that appears to be an adult film as well. Okay. <laughs> and then he didn't have another credit for the next 13 years until he was on The Potato Factory in 2000, which was a TV miniseries as Mary's Customer. Uh, oh. <laughs> in, in 2010, he was in The Book. Oh. So he has these giant gaps in his career that are baffling. Uh, the book... We need to focus on is the Miller. The book doesn't even have a synopsis on IMDb. All we've got is an also known as the book, They Came From Outer Space. So it's potentially a science fiction film. Perhaps. Um, or a religious film. But yeah, he has six credits spread out over a uh, 36-year time span. So he got a lot less work than Mike Horner in, like, the same amount of time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, yeah, that's almost the exact same amount of time, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, not quite the 1,069 roles. Yeah. Uh, the highs and lows of the adult film industry. Um, you want to take a quick break? Yeah, let's take a quick break, and then we'll be Since back to talk about... Uh, broke the... down the career of Dennis Dugan for <laughs> everyone. <laughs> 
That's uh, that's what people tune in for. For us to spend a half an hour talking about uh, people who had six <laughs> roles in the movie industry. Uh, all right, we're going to take a break, and we'll be back to talk more about the uh, ribald tales of Canterbury. We're going to talk about our Dennis Dugan uh, filmography podcast while we're on break. <laughs> yes, we'll get a few years out of that at least. This is not supposed to be a festival. Oh, Mother, what are you doing up at this hour? That, my dear girl, is a question I should be asking you. But I can see quite clearly with my own eyes, and I have half a mind to join you. Then do. There are two, and uh, there is enough for both of us. Yes, but first, I must tell you, boys, that your full amount of flour is outside the door. It is? That's quite kind, my dear lady. Yes, I measured it out myself this evening. But now, I have rather a different kind of measurement in mind. Let's get into this movie. All right, well, let's talk about the ribald tales of Canterbury. So the film opens and we get a pub full of people chattering about and we get our Canterbury Tale theme song. Yes. uh, In a... uh, Traditional Caribbean films theme song? uh, Yes, except instead of it being an 80s pop song, it's a Renaissance Fair song. Yeah, it jams. Uh, it jams. <laughs> it's the exact kind of stuff you would hear if you went into like the beer garden at a rent fair, so it works. Oh yeah, fair enough. Yeah, I've got some experience. Uh, there's these. Uh, there's a waitress who carries like a pig head to a table. That was a fun little piece of this segment. Yeah, people <laughs> eat everybody's, pigs. Everybody's uh, cheering about. Um, there's lots of flirtation between the various people here, but yeah. uh, Hyapatia Lee shows up and. Uh, gives a toast she is the hostess and uh she notes in her toast that tomorrow the majority of them were going to canterbury together she notes that the journey is long and suggests that they play a game along the way each person is going to put in 20 pence into the purse everybody is going to tell a story and the best story gets the full purse and uh the hostess, Hyapatia Lee, will be the judge. Everyone agrees to this, and she goes around and collects coins. This is exactly how an actual Ren Faire work, is they get you very drunk, and then the next thing you know, you've spent like $200 <laughs> to uh, dress like a knight <laughs> for four weekends out of the year. I've, uh, I've never been to a Renaissance fair. Well, let me tell you. That's how it works. It's a racket. <laughs> I'd, I'd imagine. Yeah. Um, it's pretty fun, though, like, uh, for a while. Eating a big turkey leg is a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, throwing an axe is fun. Yeah. Drinking's fun. Yeah. Uh, fucking, we're in Kentucky, and if you're not from Kentucky, the summers are horrible. Uh, yeah. They are humid. Typically, and usually in the high 80s or low 90s for most of the time. So right. it's both humid and hot. Yeah. Um, and run fairs are usually held out in like a field. Right. So you're just wearing like all this period gear and just baking yourself <laughs> in a field um, to give these people money. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's a scam, but uh, if you put alcohol on a scam, 
That makes it okay. That makes it a <laughs> business enterprise. That's the law. Yeah, and that's exactly how Hyapatia Lee is running things. <laughs> uh, so the Miller, who is played by Dennis Duggan. Yes. Hacksaw's <laughs> brother. <laughs> yes. Uh, he seems super confident. Uh, then we see the carpenter who's flirting with Katrina. Uh, she invites him upstairs, and they start to go to town upstairs. Yeah, our carpenter's Jesse Eastern, and Katrina is Beverly Bliss. Ah, uh, yes. yes, yes. There's a lot of characters. I tried to keep note of who's two. Yeah, good call. Thank you. The carpenter goes upstairs, and uh, he. Uh, Gets under her dress and remarks, what a lovely nest you have under there. They uh, kiss and caress each other a bit. And then the woman says to the carpenter, let's see how well you drive a peg. Ah, yes. (laughs) This is the first in a series of uh, filthy job-related puns. Uh, Yes, there's a lot of that, in fact. Um, the party continues downstairs, but we cut back to the carpenter and Katrina banging. He has, I guess it's like a birthmark. I thought it was maybe a weird bruising pattern at first, but uh-huh. uh, it's got kind of sharp enough edges that I think it's maybe a birthmark. Uh, but it's on his ass, uh, and we get to see it a bit as he's uh, plowing away. Yes. I thought it was a tattoo at first, but I think it's definitely yeah, a birthmark. It doesn't seem like it's, like, representative of a thing. Yeah, it's just, it's kind of like a weird arbitrary shape. Yes. We didn't get a whole lot of view of it, but I I imagine that they purposely tried to keep it out of the shot, but... uh, Sure, it's distracting. Yeah. We're obsessed with it right now. (laughs) Exactly. The soundtrack is like a mixture of a Yamaha keyboard and a Sega Genesis. Yeah, with a pan pipe. Uh, Yeah, a little bit of that. Over the whole thing. Uh, she, Katrina, starts blowing the carpenter yeah. and notes, you have such a nice hammer, carpenter. Uh, they have some doggy style sex and eventually he pulls out and comes on her ass, uh, as a bunch of bells chime in the soundtrack. Uh, then he falls down and laughs with her. Oh. Uh, we cut straight from that to a group of horses setting out and this is our, uh, journey party. Yeah. The uh, Pilgrims heading yes. to Canterbury. Uh, who do we have? We have... Uh, well, we have Hyapatia Lee, the hostess. Yes. We, we have, have the Carpenter. Yes. We uh, have the Knight. We have the Miller. We have the Monk. We have uh, the uh, Lady... Bath. The Lady of Bath, yes. Yes. Uh, I think that's it. I think that's... I think it's three and three, right? I think that's it. Yes. Okay. We'll okay. just move on, and we'll mention another character if they show up if in our notes. someone shows up in the... Where they come from? We don't know. <laughs> That's the thing about a pilgrimage, is anyone, I think, can just kind of drop on in. <laughs> or leave. Oh, it's, yeah. a very, uh, it's a very loose uh, configuration. Yeah. It's like a orgy. Uh, yes, in many ways. Uh, so, <laughs> we... The hostess asks the group who will start, and uh, she suggests the monk at first, but he starts to talk about morality and stuff, and she gets really disappointed and... Uh, kind of cuts him off. Cuts him off, so uh, the night begins. Yeah, there's a little, like, a wah, wah, wah sound effect <laughs> when she cuts him off. It's pretty good. Uh, although, 
Levino is always great performer. Yes. Just very good at comedy. Ex- excellent work on his part. So the knight tells his story. He talks about growing up poor and I'm not I don't remember all of the details, but basically he was going to Italy to help his mom. Yeah, his like he had two brothers and a mom and his dad died and left money to his brothers. They spent all the money and his mom was ruined and then he was going to Italy to or maybe his mom died. I don't know. Anyway, he's just kind of wandering about the yeah, world. Yeah, his destination is not material to the story. No. Continue your, your night's tale, sir. <laughs> he comes across uh, a guy who's escorting a young abbot. Yeah, I think he's a monk. Uh, yes, a monk it might, escorting is the it young Dennis, abbot. It might be Dennis Dugan again, because I feel like sometimes the characters pull double duty. Uh, but I don't really, it's not important. Well, Elmo Levine's the monk. Yes. Otherwise. Sorry. Yes. Elmo. It might have been him again. I don't think it. I don't know. It It, it was Dennis Dugan and an Elmo Levino comedy <laughs> disguise. <laughs> so, uh, he, this guy is also not material. This other monk who's escorting this young abbot, they yeah. disappear quickly. Um, the knight notes that the young abbot was a fair young man. He talks about how they journeyed together and uh, they met some meager lodgings where they were forced to uh, share a chamber together. Oh, yes. The abbot asks the knight to join him in bed, um, at that, which point yeah. the abbot undresses to reveal that she is a woman and oh. not a guy. Oh, and also before that, the knight's like, I'll deck you for thinking I'm some kind of queer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, uh, he quickly changes his mind when our abbot, played by De- Deborah Lynn, uh, as you said, undresses. Yes, and shows her bush off. Yeah, that'll change any homophobe immediately. <laughs> I don't know what I'm saying. She is going to visit the Pope about a betrothal. She says that no woman has wanted a man as much as she wants him now. And she says that despite her inexperience, she'll try hard to please him. And so we see them naked together, and the knight goes down on the abbot with some finger work. Yes. Mike Horner's legs in this scene seem to be 100% hairless, but his hairy ass crack really stands out because of that. Yeah. <laughs> um, he fucks her in the mouth a bit, though stays fairly shallow. He's not trying to get at the back of her throat. No, he's a knight, after all. He's a gentleman. That's right. A courtly man. Exactly. Uh, We see some missionary uh, with some variations. And finally he pulls out and uh, comes on her pubes before pushing back in for a few more thrusts. Which seems to be, uh, he may as well just come inside of her. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) At that point. uh, So we're talking about people's asses. Her asshole, when they focus on it, it seems small for an asshole. Oh, yeah. I think maybe she had some work done. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. There's just something... It was probably just normal. It's just one of those things where if you just look at something for too long, you just kind of start picking it apart. There's just a lot of her asshole. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You're you're being very critical of her asshole. I'm not... She's... I think she looks fine. Okay. (laughs) Uh, You know, I think, uh... If you want to get your butthole worked on, that's between you and uh, God. <laughs> Obviously, you don't respect God's work enough to uh, 
love the asshole you're born with, but, uh, you know, there will come a day of your judgment. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. Uh, So, at the end of all of that, they say, I love you to each other, which seems a little quick, but, you know, whatever. Yes. Uh, So, we get a little bit more story, and uh, she turns around and asks the Pope to be wed to the knight, knight yeah. because she was promised to the heir of Flanders. Yeah, she's the her, king's daughter, actually. Yeah, because her father was the king of England. Uh, she was not able to wed the knight. Yes. Uh, but they did fuck real hard, and that's the important part. That's all that matters, yeah. And he became a knight because he fucked so good. Exactly. <laughs> Sir fucks a lot. Yes. <laughs> uh, the hostess likes the story, but uh, the monk notes that it's uh, a, mor- a story without any morals. It's not a moral tale. No. Um, so their monk, the miller, responds, "Getting tail is often uh, moral enough." <laughs> That's right. Yes. Um, the carpenter's up next, but the miller intrudes, saying he wants to tell his tale, but the hostess notes that the miller is too drunk to tell his tale now. Uh, I like this scene because it almost feels like a real argument, where <laughs> Hayapesha was just like, I can't break character to argue with this drunk. <laughs> he's like, he's like, this isn't fair! <laughs> uh, uh, so- great, great acting. So the carpenter tells a tale about a miller who is played by the same miller as is in this uh, traveling party. Yeah, that's why I thought maybe the monk might have been Elmo without really looking at him too closely in the first segment. Sorry, go ahead. Maybe he was. Now that I'm thinking about it, I don't remember very clearly. And I just just, watched this movie a few hours ago. We gotta just start watching these movies twice. We gotta watch these movies while we're talking. Yeah. We just gotta... We're going to do commentary tracks now. Yeah. I mean, usually they end up being like the length of the film usually anyway. So we've been been doing so much better at that. Yeah. We've been getting there. Um, We'll get there if I ever stop talking. (laughs) Go ahead. So uh, the carpenter tells a tale about a miller in the town of Oxford, an evil, greedy man who pilfered from people who brought him grain. Um, he was stealing a little bit extra from everybody and giving them back less than what he gave them or what they gave him. And, you know, of course, charging for the services. Yes. He was stealing extra from a school who the headmaster of was like sick. The school of perhaps Oxford? Uh, perhaps. Yes. Some students came to get some grain milled for the school. Our st- yes. Our students, uh, Alan and John. Yes, Alan and John. Alan being Peter North. Yep, and John is John Martin. Ah, uh, yes. Do you ever think, like, when an actor plays a character with the same name as them, it's because they're, like, maybe just too dumb to, like, respond to a different name sometimes? <laughs> I feel like it, it happens occasionally, and maybe multiple times with some people. That, or, that might be the case. I hope so. I hope that's it. Or they can't respond and like they're just like, oh, oh, yes, I'm Alan. <laughs> or I'm, I'm John. Yes, yes. All right. Um, sorry, cut part of that out. Keep the funny, <laughs> keep the funny part of it. 
Uh, I think that's the funniest part. Oh, yeah. We'll keep the whole thing then. All um, right. Uh, so yes. Peter North is Alan and John Martin is John are there to get uh, grain milled for the school. The miller offers them a deal where he will uh, mill their grain for free if they gather milk and eggs for his family. But we see in another room the miller's wife with the miller's daughter. And the wife is tired of his racket. So she says that she's going to go look at the grain that is brought to the miller and estimate how much there is. And she's going to return the same amount to uh, the school at the end of the process so that uh, the miller is not cheating them. Yeah. Uh, The miller's daughter asks how she'll distract him, and she tells her that a woman has her way. Yes, she does. So we see the miller's wife approach the miller, and she gets him to look out the window, saying that somebody's coming their way on the horizon. And he looks out the window for an extended period of time as the daughter goes and inspects the grain to get a gauge on how much they brought. The miller and his wife argue a bit as they didn't see anybody coming for real, so... uh, (laughs) The miller starts being a dick towards her, demanding his dinner when he finishes up. So we cut from there immediately to the three of them eating dinner together. Yeah. Um, I will say I like uh, Dennis Dugan, uh, Duggan, Dugan, however you want to say it. He's got kind of like a Peter Laurie kind of vibe where he's just got this like perfect kind of like drunk argumentative kind of bitchy asshole down yeah he sure um, does then that's kind of like the character that uh laurie would play in like some of like the corman like films like uh usually in like the poe films like the right raven or uh in his adaptation of the black cat and one of those ones i can't remember which one that was yeah maybe tales of terror i think or yeah i'm gonna say tales of terror gotcha but uh he's got kind of a similar vibe i really like him as like an actor uh the supporting cast in this in general is usually is pretty good. Yeah, for sure. Um, also, the wife is Stevie Taylor and the daughter is Buffy Davis. Ah, yes. Just so people know who they're looking at. Uh, a wonderful duo. Yes, mother and daughter reunited at last. Yes, and uh, they'll reunite even further later. Mm, it feels so good. Yeah. <laughs> So the students show back up, uh, and the miller tells them that there are flowers over there, but there's one bag there instead of the two that they brought. And clearly they've been shorted, but the miller claims that that's the right amount. Um, at that point, the students ask if they can stay, and the miller offers them to uh, stay and eat with them. The wife tells them that they need to eat because they'll need their strength. And boy, uh, will they. Yeah. Uh, howdy. There's then this scene of them, of the wife and daughter staring across the table at Alan and John, suggestively eating chicken wings. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, at one point, Peter North in particular does a bunch of like weird licking and sucking on the chicken wing and an orange. Yeah. And then uh, the women are returning the favor a bit uh, with one of them doing some suggestive baguette work. Yes. And then. Peter North picks up a whole, whole chicken, chicken yes. and starts to lick <laughs> on it and suck on it uh, suggestively. It's amazing. It's a great scene. <laughs> uh, so the Miller's daughter shows the two guests to their room and then demands that they take their pants off. She says, what good is having a rooster if you can't crow? It's true. <laughs> 
So uh, then she starts to uh, work their dicks, sucking yeah. one and jacking the other. Yeah, she really, uh, she really crows their cocks. She sure does. Yes. Uh, so the miller and wife go to bed together. Uh, as the daughter continues to work the two guys, uh, she starts to get fucked doggy style by one while blowing the other. Um, the wife is in bed with the miller, who is drunk and kind of passed out, but the wife is alarmed as the loud sex uh, might wake the miller up. So yeah. Plus, she's, she wants some herself. Also, she definitely wants some for herself, because she then shows up in, her, in the room with her daughter, uh, and the wife asks what she's doing awake, and uh, the daughter asks the wife what she's doing awake. But the wife asks if she can join in. The daughter says that, uh, of course, she can join in. There's uh, plenty here. <laughs> yes. Uh, plenty of dick. There is plenty of dick. The wife tells them that the uh, extra flower is waiting for them outside. But she has a different measurement in mind. Oh. And uh, then they kind of just fall into this square of oral sex on the ground. Yeah, it's like a four-way 69. It's uh, beautiful. And mother and daughter must never meet. Um, the wife says, To think I've been putting up with my husband's little Peter for years. Uh, the fuck fest continues, and eventually Peter North pulls out and comes on the daughter's ass. Do you think people in the Middle Ages ever had a Peter North-sized load? I don't know. I mean, I feel like just statistically speaking, it seems likely that somebody at some point. Yeah. But I don't know. We don't know. They weren't filming it for yeah, some they reason. Weren't me- I don't know. <laughs> I need to look back and see if there's any historical records yeah, of load volume. to look um, the scholarly journals. Yes. And papers of note. <laughs> sticky papers of note. Ew. <laughs> Oh, also, I think the song that's playing in the background is like Three Blind Mice. <laughs> while they're like all 69ing. Excellent. Um, yeah. And John Martin's character also pulls out and comes on the wife's face. Um, as this is going on, I feel like in both cases they reuse some footage to make it seem like it's going on for longer than it should. I think so. Uh, but it's not too egregious. Right. And it kind of, it really makes it better, if anything. Sure. Uh, not that Peter North needed to make it look like uh, he came more than he actually did. Yeah. <laughs> At this point, the miller shows up and he's angry and starts to yell, but he just falls over drunk and is just collapsed on the ground. And the students leave. And they say thanks for dinner. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, dessert. Uh, yes, a beautiful dessert. That was the end of the... Carpenter, was that the Carpenter's? Yes, the Carpenter's story. Yes, the Carpenter told a tale of a miller. Uh, the miller hates the story. Yeah, he says it's bigoted. Uh, but the monk says it's fitting, based off of morals at least. Mm-hmm. And the hostess stops the monk again, telling him not to turn this into a sermon. Yes. Uh, so the group decides to stop and rest for the night. And then we see them around the campfire... Uh, one of them asks whose story's next, but the group decides to uh, save the stories for when they're on the road. Yes. So instead, the hostess and the lady of Bath uh, both retire to a tent. The other ones act like they're about to retire, but they realize something's going on here. So instead of retiring to bed, all the men stand outside this tent 
that uh, the hostess and the lady of bath are in and watch them as they undress and then uh sex each other up oh yeah they're peeping on them from outside and uh they get naked and the lady of bath goes down on the hostess and then they start to cuddle a bit and we cut to the daylight yes um uh, and that's that's that that's that so next up the lady of bath who was just munching on the hostess <laughs> is uh up next to tell a story yeah so she talks about how the Lord of Bath had been driven into poverty and died. Uh, his daughter, the Lady of Bath, should have been uh, in line to inherit their land, but uh, there, a new lord had taken over in his place, and so the Lady of Bath uh, lived kind of a poor life and had to take a role as a lady-in-waiting for the lord, uh, yes. But the Lord did not know that she was the no, she didn't daughter didn't. of the Lord of Bath. He didn't know, so mm. she is kind of infiltrating and trying to uh, weasel her way back into power of her lands, which are rightfully hers. Yes. mind you. Yeah, she just needs to get them back from the Lord uh, Bud Lee. Uh, yes, so yeah, the Lord is played by Bud Lee, and, and, and uh, his lady is a Sherry Janvier. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's it. Is she the one from uh, Trashy Lady? I don't know. Yes, she was Emma in Trashy Lady, the one that gets DP'd. Excellent. With the boxer. Right, With it's a dream sequence. Yes. Where she gets DP'd. A fantasy sequence. Sure. Oh, yeah, she's awake. It's fantasy. Because this uh, new lord was promiscuous, the wife wanted the lady-in-waiting, the former lady of Bath, to spy on the lord for her. But none of them knew, again, that the uh, lady-in-waiting was the lady of Bath. The queen visited the lord, and uh, the lord takes her back to the bedroom and starts to lick the queen's ass and pussy from behind. Of course. Um, Just diplomacy. The lady-in-waiting was supposed to be his lookout, but meanwhile, the lady of the house, uh, Sherry Janvier, was uh, busy with the stable boy in another room. The Lord, uh, Gen Budley, is fucking the queen, Josephine Carrington, while the lady, Sherry Janvier, and uh, the stable boy, F.M. Bradley, are fucking in another room. So, the Lord and the Queen are 69ing while the lady is blowing the stable boy. Uh, And then he sits her up on the table and goes down on her. The Lord is fucking the Queen doggy style while the stable boy is fucking the lady doggy style. Uh, And the Queen switches to reverse cowgirl. Eventually, the Lord pulls out and comes, and the stable boy immediately after pulls out and comes. Good timing. Yes. But the lady-in-waiting knocks on the lord's door, saying that the king is arriving. The queen panics and says that the lord's head will be on the platter if they get caught. So the lord, however, says that he has it under control. Meanwhile, the lady-in-waiting also knocks on the door that the queen was in with the uh, stable boy and alerts her about it. So at this point, uh, the two groups of uh, unfaithful people run into each other. And uh, confront each other on a staircase. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> at this point, the lady-in-waiting notes that 
Uh, all of the exits are surrounded by guards at this point, except for one, and she will tell them which one that is, but only if the Lord signs a document uh, granting her uh, her land that she was due. Yes. And she reveals who she is and all of that stuff, and they're baffled and upset, but at the end of the it's day... Like the they... winch has swindled us. Yes. But at the end of the day, uh, they agree and sign the document, and theoretically escape uh i'm assuming the king wasn't actually even coming i don't know we don't know we don't get to see i mean the only exteriors we get to see are clearly stock footage from something else that i wasn't able to place (laughs) um the lord tries to talk her into taking gold and calls her a whore but uh she convinces them and they sign it over so bad negotiation to call the other party a whore yeah typically speaking it doesn't give you a leg up yeah there's no leverage when you do that uh the monk says that this was the best tale ever or the monk says this was the best tale yet uh next up is the miller but he was indisposed at the moment passed out on the horse so the knight then suggests that the hostess tells a tale of her own in the meantime um, she says okay, but tells everybody to pee patient as she wasn't prepared. So she tells a story about a bunch of gypsies. You can't say gypsy. Uh, that's what she says. She does, but it's a different era. And we see Hyapatia Lee as the uh, subject of this story, who goes unnamed, I believe, through the story. She's a gypsy. She is in love with two men, uh, Shitter and Vitter. <laughs> She notes that... One of them is played by Mark Wallace, but don't ask me who. Uh, Mark Wallace is Vitter. Okay. And Tony Martino is uh, Shitter. Okay, there you go. Uh, She notes that the tarot card says that uh, she is destined to spend eternity together with one of them. But her babushka tells her that she has to go to a tree and stamp three times and spit over her shoulder and the horned one will show himself to her. Excellent. So uh, she does that. And uh, indeed, uh, a creature credited as the devil in this. Yeah. Who is played by oh. Howard Darkly. Yeah. He appears. He appears very quickly. He was just waiting for someone to bother him. He doesn't have anything else going on, really. Yeah, apparently not. So he shows up in a poof of smoke. She explains that she can't choose which one of these guys she was with, and he asked if she danced for them, and she said she did, but neither paid enough attention to her. So he presents her a violin and says that the men will find it irresistible and they'll fall in love with her. But he tells her that at the cock's crow, she'll return to him and be his lover for the day. We go back to her with the other so-called gypsies, and she's playing violin. And we see uh, Sitar and Vitar are transfixed by her playing the violin. Then we cut immediately from that to the three of them in a tent together. Uh, The guys are undressing her and kissing all over her. Uh, Then she starts to ride one, uh, reverse cowgirl, while the other one's licking and sucking on her breasts. Then uh, one fucks her doggy style while she blows the other. Uh, Then we switch to her blowing both of them. Oh, yeah. And uh, one of them asks her to squeeze his balls, which I thought was fun. 
Uh, then she talks about how there's a gypsy tradition where a golden ring is used to enhance their love. Yeah. So he pu- she puts these gold cock rings on them, although they're not, like, tight enough to, like, restrict any no, blood flow or they're anything. Just mag- they're just... They're magic. They're magical. After a little bit, they eventually both come on her face together, pretty much timed at the same time. Yeah. There's uh, definitely some uh, some uh, intersection of those load streams. Sure. Uh, and then she slides the golden rings off and throws them out of the tent. And some dude on the outside picks up the golden cock rings and they cheers all, as he holds cheers. them up in yeah. the air. They all know she's taking a load. She's taking a couple loads, in oh, fact. Oh, yeah. Yeah. By the number of rings, you'll know <laughs> the load she has taken. Exactly. That's, um, they say that's gypsy tradition. <laughs> uh, and then the devil shows up in the tent and claims all three of them. Replacing them with just the violin and the bow. Yeah, and apparently that's how the gypsy violin got its wine. Yes. Uh, uh, I didn't per- really understand this. I, yeah, I don't know much about that particular style of violin, I guess. <laughs> uh, so, the miller says that it was a good tale, and now it's time for him to tell his tale. But the hostess says it's too late. He was too drunk when he it was his turn. So, ultimately, the miller does not get to tell his tale. He does not. And I think they should let him tell his tale. Yeah, why are you trying to silence these voices? Yeah. (laughs) Don't silence the voice of our millers. (laughs) So, then we flash to everybody, uh, presumably at Canterbury, uh, together at a pub. And the knight proposes a toast to the hostess. He says that... He and the others got together and voted her out as the judge, but voted her in as the victor. She told the best tale. I don't agree. Yeah, it seems like he just, like, horn-dogged away all the money. Yeah, that's true. He got his at the end, though. Yeah, like, he was angling for that, and he's like, if I get her all the money first, then she'll (laughs) fuck me. And it worked. She says that she'll give the uh, purse away to the needy. So the knight and hostess step away together, and the knight says that she has shown her generosity, but he wants to show his. Meanwhile, we see the Lady of Bath pick up on the carpenter, uh, leaving just the monk and the miller together at a table. But the miller excuses himself to go pass out in bed as a drunk motherfucker, leaving the monk at the table alone. Then we see the knight and the hostess together in bed. She says, No knight is stronger than his sword, but how is your sword? (laughs) He says something about it's uh, in its sheath, ready to go. And she says, Let me beckon it out of its sheath. (laughs) Uh, Meanwhile, the lady of Bath is naked with the carpenter, also naked, tells him to take me. So uh, they get on the bed together, and he kisses and sucks on her breasts while uh, starting to do some handwork on her vagina. Uh, We see the knight fucking the hostess and Lady Bath fucking the carpenter. Lady Bath is blowing the carpenter, and she makes a comment about how on the trip she was watching his ass while riding to Canterbury. Um, and says something about she was just wondering what his uh, front looked like. And uh, she is quite impressed with his cock, apparently. Yes, indeed. She, she also asked for permission to lick his balls. 
Um, Very you, courteous. Yeah, you need permission to do that. It disturbs a man. <laughs> <laughs> then she tells him, I want to ride that stiff prick. <laughs> uh, the knight's going down on the hostess. Um, the carpenter's still fucking her. She's <laughs> The carpenter asks, how do you like my tool, m'lady? he uh, fucks her doggy style and then she wants it between her breasts and so he starts to fuck her tits and then he comes on her breasts and she uh, licks his cock for good measure oh yeah meanwhile the hostess is blowing the night Uh, she notes that he has some nice family jewels Uh, we get some sideways sex some missionary and finally he pulls out and comes on her pubes and then he leans down to kiss her, but as he's doing that, he slides his dick back in her as well. Nice. I notice the coordination there. Yeah. And, uh, you know, at the moment where you might be losing erection, that's a... that's a It's a, good it's a nice, smooth move. Yeah. It takes it's, some finesse. Yes. Um, that's why he's a knight. That's right. He's noble. <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, so then we see the monk at the table reading... And he's declaring now that this was the moral that he's been looking for. And the camera pulls out, and we see he's actually being blown by a woman. Yes. And uh, we get some cuts away. I think this is a stunt cock. Yeah, that's what my note is, too. Just based on the fact that he doesn't have like any kind of like stomach, it seems like. Right. Yeah. And you never see his dick on the screen with the rest of his body or yeah. anything. Uh, and the shots that you see of her blowing him while he's in person there, he's, she's under his robe. Yeah. Whereas in the other shots, she's got his robe pulled up and That's she's true. just blowing him. That's true. He finally finishes on her and uh, she gets up and gives a curtsy before leaving. And it's at that point that the credits start and we hear our Canterbury Tales song again. Excellent. And it fades to black, and uh, the music stops for a solid 30 seconds before the credits stop, which I thought was strange. (laughs) Uh, But uh, that was the end of the Rival Tales of Canterbury. Wowie. Wowie zowie. All right. We're going to take another quick break, and then we will finish up our episode uh, talking about our feelings on the Rival Tales of Canterbury. I don't want to talk about my feelings. Shit. How may I serve you? I was told to come to you for help. I'm in love with two men. I want them both for my husband. I can't choose between them. Kinky. Have you danced for them? Oh, yes. Yes, I danced for them all evening. But they paid me no attention. Well, don't worry a bit about it. I have just the thing to capture their hearts. The violin will produce such a wonderful sound that no mortal will be able to withstand it. I offer no service for free. At the cock's crow, you will return to me and be my lover for the whole day or you will perish. Here, let me teach you how to play. I'm going to order us up some hot and saucy pizza girls. Okay, that sounds delicious. I've been podcasting for so long. (laughs) (coughs) I need refreshment. Uh, Refreshing Uh, pizza girl. What are we talking about? Uh, let's go ahead and give our reviews for the uh, Rival Tales of Canterbury. Uh, Jeremy, you're our resident uh, film critic. Let's do the thing. I'm so cold. <laughs> um, okay. Let's talk about those tales. Let's talk about what I thought of the tales. 
Okay. The Ribald Tales of Canterbury by I Pay is an excellent pornographic film. Excellent. Yes. I um really enjoyed this film. It had uh everything I'm looking for in a, a filthy movie. Oh really? Uh, it did, indeed. It had uh, a great cast, uh people who were I say the acting in this film was pretty much uh, everyone pretty much pulled their weight. Yeah, a lot of hot ladies. Got uh, the lady of Bath, whose name I've forgotten, <laughs> Kathleen Turner. <laughs> yeah, I think it was Kathleen Turner. <laughs> uh, but you know, you got high officially. Uh, Colleen Brennan. Colleen Brennan. I want to call her Kathleen. That's not right. Colleen Brennan, uh, a fine redhead. Yes. Uh, Got some hot guys like Mike Horner and uh, Peter North dropping huge loads. Yes. Um, and I don't know what the budget was, but it looks great. Yeah. Uh, the costume design is, um, I don't think, it, I don't know if it's like, I don't really care if it's like completely like historically accurate. Right. But uh, it doesn't look cheap. It looks like they spent some money on it. Yeah. Um, the sets are nice. Yeah. Particularly... Uh, the castle set they use, the interior looks good. Uh, the inn looks very nice. Yeah. I think it's the same inn twice, but... Perhaps. <laughs> but who cares? Um, <laughs> it looks good. The people in it are uh, good. Yeah. Uh, the stories are all pretty amusing and fun little uh, sexual romps. Right. I like the porn anthology genre. Yeah. Um, I can't say it's the best for, like, pure storytelling, Mm-hmm. But uh, as far as getting to have like fun little romps with different people, uh, it works pretty well. Right. I feel like we've covered a film that kind of goes in the anthology sort of way before, but I can't think of a name off the top of my head. It's going to drive me crazy. I know I've seen some, though, like The Naughty Network and stuff like that. Yeah, that's true. Um, but we haven't, that we haven't talked about um, yet. I feel like we probably covered one that we're just completely we've got spacing on. Almost like forty episodes at this point. Yeah, so and we've got probably like forty ounces worth of bourbon in us as well. It's just rolling around <laughs> in our brains. Uh, but uh, yeah, I'd say high officially script for this is good. It's funny. It's erotic. Great performances all around. Particularly as an adaptation of the Canterbury Tales. Who really cares? Right. To be quite honest, like, I didn't go into this expecting them to be, like, pretty accurate. Right. It does seem like, based on some of my, what I remember reading and some of my research, the, uh, what became, like, the Carpenter's Tale is probably the most intact, because I do specifically remember reading that one and about, like, how he cheated them out of all their grains and right. all that. Because that's the kind of thing that sticks with you, is when a man is cheated out of grain. <laughs> <laughs> It don't sit right with me. Yeah, that's understandable. Um, I don't really think this film really had many shortcomings I could think of. Right. As from really any standpoint. And it was just overall a, a fun film to do. I like uh, porn period pieces a bit because you do get some of the more interesting like set pieces and costumes and things like that. Going back to like even our first episode, Dixie Ray, Hollywood star set in the 40s or... Uh, the Naughty Victorians or Trashy Lady. Right. Um, those are all films I think I've rated pretty highly or had a pretty strong uh, 
solid opinion of. Right. Um, so this one uh, joins those ranks. Uh, gonna give it four point five. Okay. I'm feeling very strong about this. Uh, I might just be a Hyatt Lee fan. Fair enough. Yeah. I mean, she was Miss Nude USA for two different years, and not even yeah. consecutive years. No, she's the Grover Cleveland of Miss Nude USA. <laughs> That's right. Uh, she's wonderful. Uh, yeah. And this is a really fun movie. This is a movie that's competent on every level. Um, I would agree that, generally speaking, there's not really any one particular thing that I could call out that like is a shortcoming of this film. Mm-hmm. The cast is solid. The tales are solid. Yeah, um, some of them are a bit bare bones, but... They're a bit bare bones, but they're fine. Yeah, because uh, the bones bare. There's a lot of sex in this movie, but there's not like long dragging sex scenes. All of the sex scenes yeah. are pretty quick and well paced. It's not like uh, sorority sweethearts where it's just kind of like a very slim frame that just kind of sets everything up for just long sex scenes. Right. Yeah. There's a lot of sex scenes, but a lot of uh, a lot of storyline in between to set them up. So everything is. Somewhat logical, at least. Yeah, it's balanced, if nothing else. Um, there's not any poor performances in the film. Uh, all of them are good, some even great. It's it's all very well put together and good. I would say that I don't quite love it to the level that you do. That's fair. While I would say that there's not anything that's like really wrong with this movie in any way, I would also say that there's not much that... like really goes above and beyond to me sure i mean everybody's good yeah it's it's good it's well made but i'm not in love with it i like it though yeah i really like it i had fun watching it and uh at some point in the future i'm sure i'll watch it again because it's a it's a nice good time yeah and if anybody was like should i watch the rival tales of canterbury i'd be like yeah yeah you should you should it's a good fun time it's definitely not my favorite Hypatia Lee film. No. But it's uh it's a solid film and there's nothing wrong with it. Uh overall I give it three and a half stars. I like it. It just doesn't for me and my taste go like above and beyond being just a really good film. It's because you never actually read the book. That might be. You should have read it. You would Perhaps perhaps if I had read the book of appreciation. Or if you'd been to a Ren Fair <laughs> maybe once in your life. Maybe that's what it is. I'm just an uncultured swine. You're just un- too. Yeah, you're not cultured enough to appreciate a film like this. <laughs> I guess that's true. You're a dog, and I'm sending you out into the cold. And while you're out in the cold, don't forget your raincoat. Aww. <laughs> uh, this is the. This is the the sort of moral I've been searching for. Oh, my child, you have a, a divine mouth, a moral, 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 <laughs> moral. Uh, uh, yes, yes, this is the, the true divine spirit of mortal man. Oh, oh, uh, 